If you have your Bible with you this morning, I hope you do. Please turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 14 this morning, which is all about clothing ourselves in the character and the virtues of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, what we've been learning about in this letter of Colossians is that Christ is preeminent in wonder and in worth. In short, what we've been studying as a faith family, as a church, is Jesus, who He is, what He's done, and how we ought to live in worship in response to that. In this letter, we're returning to the very center of our Christian lives, to the very center of Christianity, which is Christ. Everything else revolves around Him. He is the epicenter of our existence. Therefore, we must know Him, and we must know Him more. And what we've seen is that Christ is preeminent in wonder. He is God in human flesh, the creator and sustainer of all things, the redeemer and reconciler of sinful men to a holy God, and He is the only way of eternal salvation and total forgiveness to all who call on Him in faith to be saved. He is preeminent in wonder, and therefore He is preeminent in worth. He is the one who is all and is in all, and therefore He ought to be over all. And that includes you and me as well, that in all things he might be preeminent. So the topic of chapter 3 and 4 of Colossians, which we're in the middle of right now, is how do we live in such a way that exalts Christ above all, that shows the world and those closest to us that he truly is above all. How can we live in such a way that ascribes to Jesus the glory that's due His name and make our lives lives of worship? That's what we've been seeing in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12-14, through 14, is that one of the main ways that we exalt Jesus Christ above all is by clothing ourselves with the very character of Christ. At the beginning of verse 12, Paul reminded us of the core of our new identity in Jesus, that we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then from the... Uh, Beginning of verse 12 on into verse 14, Paul tells us uh, the close of our new identity in Jesus. In other words, now that we're united to Him in faith, how do we demonstrate that connection through our everyday living? Paul tells us here it is by putting on this list of virtues found in Colossians 3, 12-14. This list of virtues that are organized according to three sets. We've looked at two of those sets already. Compassion, seen in kindness, Humility seen in meekness. Today we're going to look at the last set. We're considering the final pieces of our spiritual clothing that we are to put on for the glory of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 3, starting verse 12 on into verse 14. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the Word of God who gives us understanding through His precepts and causes us to hate every false way. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much that we have the privilege to come before You today. Father, we simply seek to sit at Your feet and learn from You. 
Father, as the only wise God, teach us wisdom. As the one true God, teach us truth. As the giver and sustainer of life, show us once again the glory of Him who is our resurrection and the life. Father, may we remember, may we see again this morning the glory of who Jesus is. And I pray that You would shape and fashion us according to His image this morning by Your Spirit, through Your Word. Help us, Father, to walk as Your chosen ones, holy and beloved. For the glory and honor of Jesus, we ask all of these things in His name. Amen. So if we're to exalt Jesus Christ above all, then we must become acquainted with and begin putting on the clothing of our new identity in Christ. This is what Paul teaches us here in verse 12 through 14. He's already said, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. And now I want you to see that we are to put on patience. Patience. We as believers united to Christ are to put on this virtue called patience. And again, this virtue is intimately connected to how we are to live our lives as those who are beloved by God. It is intimately connected to how we are to reflect what we've received. God has loved us, therefore we ought to love one another in these ways. And if the first two sets of virtues that we looked at describe the display of Christ-like love, right? Love looks like compassion. It looks like kindness. It looks like humility and meekness. This final set of virtues describes for us today the duration of Christ-like love. Love is patient, as 1 Corinthians 13.4 testifies. Now there's several words that you'll see in your English translation translated as patience, for example, being patient or persevering amidst trials or hardships or being enduring under those types of sufferings. But this specific word for patience here in Colossians 3 verse 12 primarily addresses what I would call relational patience. Paul's speaking not so much here about enduring pain and hardship, but rather about enduring personalities and human wrongs and weaknesses. And we as believers have seen and continue to experience this type of patient love in Christ. He is the premier example of this virtue. As Romans 2 verse 4 says, The riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience are meant to lead us to repentance. In other words, it is beneath the shadow of this type of patient love shown by God that we first came to know Christ. Before we came to Christ, our sin provoked God daily in His purity and holiness. And yet, rather than striking us down in His justice and wrath, God patiently endured our trespasses so that He might bring saving repentance to our souls. God is patient towards you. Not so that you would continue in your sin, but so that you would have time to turn from it and be saved. It is this type of patient love that first brought us to Christ and it is this type of patient love that continually covers us in Christ. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 1.16, But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display, present tense, here it is, His perfect patience 
as an example to those who are to believe in Him for eternal life. In other words, Paul was saying, the more I get to know myself, the more I realize I am the worst sinner that I know. And yet, the more I get to know myself and the more I get to know Jesus, the more I realize He's the most patient Savior I could ever imagine. Though my sin knows no depths, Christ's compassion, Christ's kindness, Christ's humility and meekness towards me knows no end. Towards me, Christ displays on a daily basis His perfect patience. And not only that, but He's given us, as His children, His perfect patience. Galatians 5.22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. What's next? Patience. You might be thinking this morning, well, pastor, you don't know me. I'm not a patient person. Well, I say this in all love and bluntness. That's simply saying that you're more controlled by sin than by the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Because as believers, we have seen patience in Christ. We have experienced patience in Christ. And we have received patience in Christ. Therefore, God tells me here in Colossians 3, verse 12, that I am to display that perfect patience that that has come to me. I am to display that to others around me as well. I am to display perfect patience towards the cashier in the supermarket. I am to display perfect patience towards the customer service representative on the phone who got my order wrong. I am to display perfect patience towards the cars in front of me at the drive-thru. I am to display perfect patience towards the drivers in front of me on the road. Perfect patience towards my husband. Perfect patience towards my wife. Perfect patience towards my children. Perfect patience towards my parents. Perfect patience towards my siblings. I'm to reflect the perfect patience that I experience from the Lord on a daily basis to others. I'm to reflect what I have received from God. It's not simply enough, you see. This is what Paul's making the point of after he talks about compassion, kindness, humility, and meekness. He's making this point. It's not enough to simply be compassionate, to be kind, to be humble, to be meek. You must keep on being compassionate. You must keep on being kind. You must keep on being humble and meek towards those around you. I must keep on being these things in the midst of relational difficulties. If I am only kind and compassionate and humble and meek with people that go along with me, I'm not it at all. The test of compassion, the test of kindness, the test of humility and meekness is can I keep on showing this in patience in the midst of relational difficulty? I must put on patience, relational endurance, long-suffering love. So just like with the other virtues, compassion leading to kindness, humility leading to meekness, how do I know if I'm putting on patience in my life? How do I know if I'm growing more into the image of Jesus Christ in terms of being patient towards those around me? What is the outward evidence of inward patience? Well, Paul gives us two outward evidences of inward patience here in this passage. The first is bearing with one another. One of the ways that you know that you're putting on patience in your life is that your life increasingly becomes characterized by bearing with one another. 
I love the realism of Scripture because Paul here is assuming something. He's assuming that in the close fellowship of the body of Christ, we will often act unbearable (laughs) towards each other. We will often rub each other wrong, frustrate each other, and just kind of annoy each other by how we act. Scripture knows this. God knows this. Kids will either talk or not talk in ways and at times that will frustrate their parents. Husbands will often leave their shoes in the living room doorway at night in ways that will frustrate their wives. Wives will often want to deeply connect relationally at times that will frustrate their husbands. Church leaders will often attempt ministry in different ways that will frustrate their church members. God's Word knows that this is where we all live. That all of us behave at times that are unbearable. And yet the test of patience and love is, will we be able to bear with one another even when the other person is unbearable? Even when others are foolish, or they act thoughtlessly, or ungratefully, or they are seemingly hopeless in their condition, can I operate in those moments patiently in a way that continues to demonstrate the compassion and kindness and humility and meekness of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? So you have a child that's hyped up from sleep deprivation. It doesn't make any sense. If you're sleep deprived, you should be tired. And they won't stop talking. So how do I respond in that moment? Can I correct that behavior with compassion and kindness without showing frustration and anger towards them? Am I showing the patience of Christ? So you fall into bed after a long day only to be told by your loving spouse that you're oily and stinky and gross and the very thought of sharing the covers with such an abomination as I is a fate worse than death? I exaggerate. But the point is, how will I respond? (laughs) Will I respond in a way that patiently continues to show love and kindness to my spouse? Your husband keeps on leaving his clothes in the sweet spot. You know that spot, the spot that's between the dresser and the hamper, right? On the floor. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. Clothes belong in one place or the other, right? But how will you respond? Can you ask him to find a place for those clothes, even if it's the trash basket, in a way that patiently continues to demonstrate kindness and love towards him? See, this is where we worship Christ. We don't worship Christ by sitting with really nice clothes in a church service on Sunday morning saying Christ is above all. We worship Christ alongside of our spouses, alongside of our kids, in our households, each and every day when we decide how am I responding to the relational difficulties that are around me? Will I show them the love of Christ or will I not? This is where we all live and God is telling us, do you want to show others that Jesus Christ reigns supreme as Lord of your life? Then demonstrate Christ's loving patience by bearing with one another. Let me put it this way. There's not to be a cancel culture in the body of Christ. Well, you've done that. You're dead to me. Goodbye. With all of their hurts and all of their failings, with all the ways they've hurt and wounded us, sometimes without even knowing it, we as Christians must be able to take people where they are and never, ever, ever stop showing them care, compassion, and kindness. This is how we show the patient love and life of Christ. 
Ephesians 4, 1 through 2 states this, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which with you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is the sign of love. It is patience. 1 Peter 4, verse 8 says that love covers a multitude of sins, a multitude of those small offenses. Love just covers over that. And so I ask you, if you're wondering how you're doing on putting on patience, how well do you show self-restraint towards people that provoke you because of their idiosyncrasies, right? How well do you show self-restraint towards people that you think are slow or you think are boring or messy or stinky or loud or thoughtless or thick-headed? How are you responding to people like that? Do you wear your annoyance on your sleeve? Or do you wear the steadfast love, patience, and kindness of Christ towards those who are often unbearable, just as Christ shows it to you. Because the first outward evidence of inward patience is the ability to bear with one another. The second evidence of patience is the ability to forgive one another. Look at the end of verse 13. And if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So here we're told to put on patience first by bearing with one another regarding those small offenses, and second, by forgiving one another when it comes to larger ones. This is how we show the loving patience of our Savior. When people annoy us, we must bear with them. When people sin against us, we must forgive them. Now again, notice the refreshing realism of God's Word. God knows and He assumes that there will be wrongs, there will be injustices, and there will even be sins committed among the body of Christ. Sins that will need to be forgiven. God knows that even faithful churches are going to have to deal with this. That's a very, very important for us to know and to learn now so that when struggles and sins and disagreements naturally arise among us as believers, whether it be in marriages or in families or in churches, That is not a cause for disillusionment. That is a chance to display, a chance to display in those moments the glorious virtues of Christ towards those who will most appreciate them because they understand it. They've seen it in Christ. See, there is even a God-glorifying opportunity behind even our own struggles and sins in the body of Christ. If we were all perfect people, there would be no chance for us to demonstrate the love or to demonstrate the patience and the forgiveness of Christ to one another. But as it is, even in the darkness of our own depravity, the light of Christ can come shining through and God can take even our failings and fallings and turn them for His glory. So it's not a cause for disillusionment, it's a chance to display. And one of the major ways we can display the light of Christ is through our forgiveness. Now we've already seen that forgiveness is a major theme of this letter of the book of Colossians. Back in chapter 1, I want you to look at it really quick in verses 13 through 14. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14 tells us that He, that is God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And why did God do that? Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the what? Forgiveness of sins. Now you might sit there and say, okay, well, God looked at us and He said, okay, well, these are the sins that you've done in the past and I'll forgive you that, but straighten up and better do better. Is that the type of forgiveness that God gave us? No, look at chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 13 and following. And you 
who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us, what? All our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. That is the forgiveness that we have received in Jesus Christ. It is a total forgiveness of all of our sins. This morning, you might recognize that you are a sinner before a holy God. Maybe that's why you came to church today. Because there's this sense of guilt weighing down on you. That is the Holy Spirit. And there is only one way you can be relieved of that guilt. To be relieved of that sin. And that is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. He is the one that bore the penalty for your sin in Himself on the cross so that you might be forgiven not just of the sins of your past but of the sins of your present and the sins of your future as well a perfect sacrifice for a perfect forgiveness you can have that today and everyone who has trusted in christ that is what you have this very moment there is no record of debt between you and god there is no sin standing between you and him you can go boldly into the presence of god by the merits of christ because you've been forgiven of all your sins. All of them. This is what you've received in God. Through Christ. By His grace. So it's in light of that when Paul writes this in Colossians that he then comes to chapter 3. And he applies it. And he says, now you must forgive one another. Now to forgive means to release from a debt. It's to not hold a grudge or to exact a payment from another because of some wrong that they've done against us. Right? It's that idea of not being forgiving. I'm going to make them pay. Right? They're going to feel the hurt they've done for me. Well, if you've done that, then there's going to be some price you pay. It's that root of bitterness is the opposite of forgiveness. That person you just can't stand in your heart. That root of bitterness... We are not to have that. We are not to hold a grudge or to exact payment from another because of something that they've done to us. We're to show forgiveness, Christ-like character to one another. And so what is the nature of our forgiveness? What should our forgiveness look like? There is so much I could say about forgiveness, but I'm going to keep it short. What's the nature of our forgiveness? I think Paul does a great way of summarizing it. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. That's what our forgiveness is to look like as believers. It is to look like the Lord's forgiveness. As Ephesians 4.32 says, which we read for our Scripture reading, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So believer, I want you to ask yourself this morning this question. How has God forgiven you? He has forgiven you, I would suggest in this way. God has forgiven you without exception and without limit. He has forgiven you without exception and without limit. Just as I read earlier in Colossians 2.13, He's forgiven us of what? All our trespasses. Therefore, we are to forgive others in the exact same way, without exception and without limit. If you remember Peter, he was the one that kind of pushed back against this in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21-22. through 22. He goes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often must my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus replies, no, 70 times seven. In other words, so many times you don't even count anymore. 
Why should we show that type of forgiveness to each other? Because that is the exact same type of forgiveness that Christ shows to you. Whenever you refuse to forgive on that basis, what you have done is you have elevated their wrongs against you and minimized your wrongs against God. Well, God, you know, God didn't have to forgive me of that much. But boy, that person really offended me. We are to forgive each other without exception and without limit. Think about it this way. There is never any doubt that Jesus will always forgive us, is there? If we, are, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is a promise guarantee. You never have to worry about whether Jesus will always forgive us. Therefore, believer, there is never to be any doubt whether you will forgive others also. Never a doubt that if someone was to come up to you, anyone, and say, would you please forgive me, your answer would always be yes. This is what it means to clothe yourself in Christ. And this is where forgiveness really bites, honestly, because deep down, I think we wish there were some exceptions and there were some limits to forgiveness, right? As C.S. Lewis wrote, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. We wish that there were exceptions and limits to forgiveness, but think about it for a moment. I want you to this morning. Do you really wish there were exceptions to forgiveness and limits to it? Would you really want God's forgiveness of you in Christ to have exceptions? Would you want God's forgiveness of you to have limits? No, you wouldn't, would you? Therefore, whatever you would have done to you, do also to others, as Jesus taught in Matthew 7, verse 12. Now, there's more details that I could give this morning about forgiveness. Like, what do you do when... Uh, how do you show it to another person when they don't recognize that they've done it wrong or whether they don't even care about it? But the point is, every follower of Christ is to have a heart of rich forgiveness and ought to have a heart that never seeks to withhold it. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive, without exception, without limit. Can I tell you that such Christ-like love and forgiveness as this towards sinners is only possible when by the Spirit of God you do two things. When by the Spirit of God you do two things. First, call out for grace. This type of forgiveness, without exception and without limit, is the outworking of divine patience. And Colossians 1.11 makes it very clear that the only way that we are equipped with all endurance and patience is when we are being strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. So you need God's grace to be able to show this type of patient forgiveness and love of Christ to those who are around you. You can't do this on your own. You have to do it on your knees. On your knees. It's not natural. It is supernatural patience. To put on this type of forgiveness, you need to call out for grace. And second, to put on this type of supernatural patience, you need to recall the gospel. That's exactly what Paul has just done with that one single phrase, as the Lord has forgiven you. In a congregation of this size, I know that there is doubtless someone among us right now that is gripped by a heart of bitterness towards someone who has done them wrong. Someone who right now is thinking, I will never, I could never forgive this person for what they've done. I know this is likely because those are thoughts that I once and am still prone as a sinner to have. And so in all love and gentleness, I simply ask you to sit under and consider for a while this one simple but weighty truth. 
the Lord has forgiven you. Think of that person that you do not want to forgive at this moment. The Lord has forgiven you. But they did this or that. They hurt me. I felt pain like you could never imagine or believe. Listen, God knows and my heart breaks for you. Sin is sin. Wrong is wrong. Pain is pain. I get that. But listen, the Lord has forgiven you. Therefore, you must forgive. Recall the gospel. When I refuse to forgive someone, I have exaggerated their offense against me and I have minimized my offense against God. But when I recall who I am against God and what He has forgiven me of, it enlarges my heart to be able to demonstrate forgiveness that I never thought was possible towards others. And so if you recognize this morning as I do that you have a long ways in bearing with one another and forgiving one another with the love of Christ, then I encourage you to call out for grace and recall the gospel. If you want a practical way of doing that, here's a suggestion. If there is someone that you are struggling to forgive, what I want you to do is go home today, grab a sheet of paper, draw a line down the middle. On one side, put that person's name on the top. Then on the other side, put your name at the top. And then I want you to write down every way that you have disobeyed, sinned, and offended God, starting with just today. Sins of your attitudes, your thoughts, your actions. Write those down for a while. If it doesn't fill up your paper, go back further into your week. If it's still not filled, go back further than that. Keep on going. Take a couple of days if you need to until your side of the paper is completely filled out on front and back. Then when you come to the end of your half of the paper, look over everything that you've written down that you have sinned and offended against God. Then look over at the name of the person that's offended you and write down one phrase underneath your list. The Lord has forgiven me. Recall the gospel. Call out for grace. And I guarantee you that practice will do a work in your heart. We must do this. In all things, Christ must be preeminent. We must put on compassion that shows itself in kindness. We must put on humility that shows itself in meekness. And we must put on patience that shows itself in forbearance and forgiveness of others. Now that's a lot. And I wanted you to see that as a church because those three sets of Christ-like virtues are going to be absolutely foundational as we come to the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4. The only way that we as spouses are ever going to be able to rightly behave towards each other And the only way that we as parents are ever going to be able to rightly behave towards our kids, and the only way we as kids are going to be able to rightly behave towards our parents, and the only way that we as employees are going to be rightly related to our employers is if we we grab hold of these virtues and put on compassion seen in kindness, humility seen in meekness, and patience seen in forbearance and forgiveness of one another. This is the foundation for everything else. Now you might still be thinking this morning, that's a lot to remember. And so Paul helpfully summarizes it in verse 14 when he writes this, And above all these, put on love, 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Continuing with the clothing illustration, Paul pictures love, love for Christ, and love for one another in Christ like a belt that holds all three of these sets of virtues together, secure and in place. Without love, think about it, all the virtues that we just looked at over the last few, three weeks are nothing short of hypocrisy, right? You can try to put on compassion, but if you don't have love, your kindness will be short-lived. You can try to put on humility, but if you don't have love, your meekness will quickly fall away from you. And you can try to put on patience, but if you don't have love, forbearance and forgiveness will vanish in an instant. So remember, in clothing yourselves with Christ, Paul says, put on, above all else, love. It's what weaves through all these virtues, pulls them together, and keeps them from falling away. I think this is very helpful, right? For those of us who would be having a hard time wrapping our mind around this passage, Paul summarizes it so we can carry it with us. Okay, i got to love. i got to love one another, right? And so if I don't remember everything about compassion or kindness or humility or meekness or forbearance or forgiveness, if I forget all of those different things, I can remember in this situation, I must love. That's very helpful for me because I feel like oftentimes I'm like Winnie the Pooh, right? I am a bear of very little brain, right? I need it knocked down to size for me that I can hold on to throughout the week. That's exactly what Paul says here. You can often wonder, you know, I I don't understand whether I'm being compassionate or kind, humble, meek, patient, forbearing, or forgiving. How do I understand all that? Paul's saying, you know what? You can answer often all of those questions by simply asking this, am I behaving in a loving fashion towards this person or not? Now, it's also on the opposite side, right? If you're just sitting there thinking, of course I'm loving people. Well, then you can go back and say, am I being compassionate? Right? I can examine myself. Am I being kind, humble, meek, patient, forbearing, forgiving? Because if I'm putting on Christ-like love, I need to be putting on these virtues also. They are one and the same. And I think that's significant that, this is, that, that, that it is love that is the virtue that Paul ends with here because remember how I said that clothing is instant communication in my first message? Instant communication? Well, if love is your outermost spiritual garment, the belt that's going on, on top of everything else, then that means what you are communicating to others through that love above and before anything else is that you belong to Jesus. Because what did Jesus say in John 13, 35? By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. Instant communication. How do you show the world that you belong to Jesus? By you loving one another. By being compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, forbearing, and forgiving. So that's what this is all about. It's about exalting Christ above all. And we do that as believers by studying passages like these and examining ourselves in light of them, in light of the mirror of God's Word. What do I need to put off that doesn't belong? And what do I need to put on that does belong to my new life in Christ? As someone chosen by God, holy and beloved, as someone who has come to know and believe that Christ is my life, where in my life must I be putting on the character of Christ? Where? What thoughts, what attitudes, what actions need to be clothed anew with compassion, with kindness, with humility and meekness, with patience and forbearance and forgiveness? What thoughts, attitudes, and actions need to be clothed anew with the very love of Jesus Christ that He has given me? Where must I put on these virtues for the glory of Christ. Because that's what our Christian life is all about. To honor Christ above all, we must clothe ourselves in Christ. As the words of the hymnist praise, 
Oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer. This is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of life's treasures. Jesus, Thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like Thee. Oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as Thou art. Come in Thy sweetness. Come in Thy fullness. Stamp Thine own image deep on my heart. That ought to be our prayer as Christians. That God would give us grace this week to clothe ourselves with Christ and to reflect the love that we have so richly received for the glory and honor of Jesus. This is the Word of God from Colossians 3, 12-14, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until He comes. And so to that end, as God's people, let's pray. Father, we thank You for the rich meal from Your Word. Thank You for reminding us of who we were sinners, condemned, unclean, enemies of You, offending You every day by our actions, and yet, in Your perfect patience, forbearance and love, You came in Your Son, Jesus Christ, and You have forgiven us of all our sins. We live in a bitter and angry world, Father. But we have seen love and patience and forgiveness in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to reflect that light into the midst of this dark world. Father, if there is some one of Your child, children that is here today, that knows in their heart there is someone that they need to forgive, I pray that they would do that this morning, even where they sit, that they would release that person from any debt, from any vengeance that they want to lay at their feet. And that they would simply release that to You and reflect the forgiveness that they have received in Christ. And I pray if there's someone here that does not know the forgiveness of Jesus, they would not leave this morning until they have experienced it. Total forgiveness of all guilt and sin. Thank You for giving this to us. May we give it to others. This week we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.